You're listening to Bick and the Boss on Sportsnet 650. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Craig McEwen here on Bick and the Boss. No Bick today. Bick moving up in the lineup. He's going uh, downtown in the uh, heart of the Sportsnet lineup with uh, Sat Shaw on the People Show. So he'll be working an extra couple of hours, but obviously with a better co-host than what he currently does here in these uh, times with me uh, riding shotgun. Uh, Bick and the Boss brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Give yourself the avenue advantage and stay under the cap by saving thousands on select Kubota skid steers and excavators. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. Uh, I want to bring in our uh, board op producer, uh, technical wizard Greg Balakin here, and and, and Greg, I, I saw the news, and I just wanted to, you know, from us at Sportsnet 650, the the boss, the management, the 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 teammates here that you have, congratulate you and uh, your lovely wife on on announcing that you're going to be having a baby girl, and that and that was really nice to see. And having a daughter myself, uh, I say, hey, welcome to the club. <laughs> I appreciate it. I got uh, I got a lot of well wishes yesterday when we announced that, so we appreciate it. Got Eddie Lack even reached out. He said, welcome to the, uh, the Girl Dad Club. So I feel very welcome right now. Thank you. Yeah, and, and hey, listen, I, I, if I can give you some boss advice or fatherly advice, when it comes to the name game, I, I'm sure you're kicking around a lot of stuff. Do not let other people hear your names. Just keep it between you and Katie. Like, Just go back and forth. Don't let other people hear your names. Because what <laughs> I'll tell you is... History tells me when you start spreading the, hey, what do you think of the name uh, Bill? And someone will tell you, oh, Bill's an idiot. Yeah, I work with Bill down at the, you know, like there's always a story or a backstory about some name that you throw out there and someone knows someone or something about some person that doesn't mm-hmm. jive with it. So just just keep the names to yourself. Go through it yourself through the process. It, it's uh, it's tough, but because once the baby's born and, and your daughter has her, her lovely name, whatever that's going to be, probably Blue Jays related, perhaps. Um, yeah, people are going to love it anyways. Well, nephew Dom, Dom Shramati from The Morning Show, he threw out the suggestion of uh, Vladette or uh, Vladarina for you know for the Vladdy Guerrero sort of uh, route. We're probably not going to go that way, but I will take your advice. I think uh, we're going to play our cards pretty close to the vest here and, and probably wait until we actually see the baby before we give it a name. Yeah, or a you name, should I have should a... Say. Yes, not it. Yeah, Come on, buddy. Has... It's her. You you know what it is now. You know you know it's going to be a girl. It's not an it anymore. Very exciting either way. Yeah, well, congratulations, Greg. Really uh, happy for you and uh, Katie. And just, you know, as I said, Eddie Lack put it best. You know, joining the girls club. It's great when they're little. Wait till they get older. <laughs> <laughs> well, I grew up with two older sisters. So I'm used to being outnumbered anyway. So it's it's no nothing new to me. Nice. Are you are you going to put a family twist in the name? Is that is that something that you're going um, down to? Not to tip your hand, but like, are 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 you are you? Are you and I know I just told you don't ex- express mm-hmm. what the names are, but some people could do that route. And and as you said, hey, you're both Blue Jays fans. Maybe there'll be a tie there. Yeah, for the middle name, probably we'll we'll have some sort of family connection. But uh, it's it's a long way away. We're only halfway there. We still got uh, still got a ways to go before uh, the, the the deadline hits. And I'm a procrastinator, so we'll probably leave it for last minute anyway. Nice, nice. Well, listen, I'm going to let you get off the air here so we can get our next guest on the line. Uh, starting uh, Bick and the Boss today with a, a little hockey talk. And an interesting story broke uh, yesterday how uh, the Florida Panthers are uh, bringing in a college quarterback. 
to help be an influencer. So obviously down in the Sunshine State, they, they need different ways to sell the game. And, and the NCAA, uh, we won't debate the, the longstanding uh, name, image, and likeness argument, but they, they've changed the rules. And now these college athletes can go out and, and look to make a little bit of extra money on their name, image, and likeness. And the Panthers doing this, you know, it's, it's one of those things where the National Hockey League uh, just a few weeks ago uh, hooked up with a TikTok star, Josh Richards. Uh, St. Louis Blues, they have a social influencer program that they do where they'll give you tickets as long as you document what you're doing at the game and obviously you have to be Blues friendly. And then the NHL also, you know, earlier getting a gaming deal with DreamHack Sports for the online community. So uh, Justin Cuthbert joins us now from Yahoo Sports NHL and Justin, uh, welcome first of all to Bick and the Boss on Sportsnet 650, and and secondly, this idea of influencers and hitting hockey fans in different ways, kicked off by you know what the Panthers did yesterday. Just your thoughts on where this is starting and and where it possibly could go to grow the game. I guess in both Canada and the United States. Yeah, it's very, very interesting because, as you mentioned, uh, it seems to be a bit of a, an emerging trend. And with uh, De'Ara King, uh, it's a bit of a different move because it's an active athlete. It's one of the first NIL agreements. Uh, it is the first with a professional sports team and one of the first in total because we only just started on this trend for NCAA athletes who now can profit off their name, image, and likeness. Um, but I, I feel like it's uh, you know, some of these some of these might be effective, and some of them might not be effective. Uh, you mentioned Josh Richards off the top. I, I feel like that was met with a lot of uh, pessimism or cynicism, uh, just because of you know Josh Richards, uh, what he stands for, what he's all about, what he's involved in, and and it seemed like it was very contrived and manufactured and engineered in a way that didn't really make sense. But with King, I, I think it does make a lot of sense because the Florida Panthers are looking to extend their reach to other sports fans in the South, uh, South Florida area. He is a major star, a mega star, someone that's going to be top of the headlines uh, throughout the next four to six months. Uh, and he's going to be involved when he can with the Panthers. And it seems like that it's not their, not the only foray into this uh, NIL uh, type of agreement that the Florida Panthers want to make. So I, I feel like it's very interesting from a localized standpoint what what the NHL is maybe doing from a broader standpoint, I'm, I'm not quite as sure of its effectiveness, but I, I'm very intrigued by this and to see what the Florida Panthers will continue to do with uh, King and with more athletes. Yeah, and, and Josh Richards ripping on the Habs right away when he got <laughs> brought in. I, I guess that's the risk, isn't it, though? Like, here's the thing. You and I work for, for big companies. You for Yahoo Sports uh, covering the NHL. I work for Rogers Sports and Media. And there's certain standards that we have to live up to as employees. We have, you know, agreements in place, uh, protocols that you have to follow. And and I'm sure in these agreements with these influencers, there's some sort of contractual obligations. But for the most part, you're not an employee of the company that you're representing. You're just a, a spokesperson. So I guess that's the risk, isn't it? In bringing these people on in case there's a there's a bad story about them or they do something a little silly in the case of a college athlete and hey we've all uh, a lot of us have been to college and grown up and, and done some you know things that hey you're you're young so 
Is that the biggest risk when you look at this, that picking the right person, not just mass appeal and getting the most uh, looks, likes, uh, shares, all that sort of stuff? Yeah, I think that has to be a major consideration. And another consideration is well, what drives what, what generates a lot of interest on social media. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, things that are over the top and, and that's what really gets attention. And to be over the top sometimes, as you mentioned, you're running the risk of, you know, going too far or doing something that wouldn't necessarily be quote unquote brand ambassador like. So I think that is a major consideration, but with the singular athletes, I mean, you can't predict the future, right? You can't know, you do your background checks, you, you talk to them, you see what they stand for, you see what type of person they are, but you can't control what happens in the future. So I feel like there's less risk from the individual standpoint, but when you are talking about companies and now one of the most interesting stories this week is the fact that Barstool sports and the MLB are talking about a potential uh, partnership where games are broadcast on Barstool sports and so on and so forth. And, and a lot of people have a ton of opinions, wide ranging opinions on that company, but there is, there are skeletons in that closet and there are things that people can pull out and show and, 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 uh, reason for why you would not expect the MLB to uh, get into the same, uh, get into a partnership with that company because of their history. Now, are they rehabilitating themselves to a certain degree? Perhaps. And that's on the MLB and any other company to, to really dig into and see if that's the right move. But there's no question that there's interest there. There's a lot, there's a huge fan base around that. And the MLB is starving for that next generation of fan. And for that reason, it makes sense. But can you stomach what the, what the other cost might be, the other shoe to drop, so to say? Uh, and that's something that all these teams and organizations have to consider as we trend into this, uh, this ambassador influencer era that it seems to be taking over many people's you know, social feeds and, and what they see on their computers and phones every day. Justin Cuthbert joining us here from Yahoo Sports, covers the NHL for them. I guess in Canada, we're probably not going to tap in on too many NCAA athletes. There might be the odd Canadian, I guess, down south that's playing. But when you look at it, you, you see a, a Thornton and a Matthews with Bieber at, at a UFC fight. Or in Vancouver's case here, you know, Michael Buble has been one of the biggest Canuck fans ever. Is that the the tact or the the path that you would see if if some of these canadian teams want to go down this road or or will they also try and hit some of these younger hipper because I, i'm guessing that's part of this is trying to get to that demo and make them hockey fans and want to buy merchandise go to games and enjoy the great sport in canada as well yeah i think uh, i think that's an interesting point because the bieber synergy with the toronto maple leafs spe- uh, specifically it seems really obvious, right? It has kind of fallen into the Maple Leafs' hands. They don't have to do anything but perhaps give up a, a press box or a, um, a private box to Bieber when he's interested in going to the games and letting him downstairs so he can have that interaction with Austin Matthews off the ice. And we've seen that. Uh, I've seen that firsthand uh, quite a few times when he's at the game. He's finding a way to get in front of the cameras where Austin Matthews is, and they have their little moment, and that's all great. But uh, that's free, right? Because the Leafs don't have to push that Beaver is genuinely a fan of that team and has interest in being in the stadium and following them and pushing their brand. But you'd think that you'd like to capitalize even more on that. And we saw a music video from Bieber, um, which was loosely affiliated, I think with the Maple Leafs, which has just had a lot of, uh, you know, it was basically a montage of season moments and all, and so on and so forth. And I think that probably wasn't without permission 
but nothing seems to be official, certainly to the degree that we've seen Drake be involved with the Toronto Raptors. So uh, with these teams that are north of the border, obviously it's a bit different because there's already that rabbit interest. They don't have to create it like they might have to do in South Florida, but it just seems like this is the way everything's going. And just to tie it back to Florida, I mean, I think this is very deliberate. I mean, the, we, we heard about De'Ara King yesterday, and I got an email from the Florida Panthers PR to this morning saying, hey, anything we can do to be more accessible this year, just let us know, and we'd love to, we'd love to work together. So this is very deliberate on their part of being more accessible, and it's happening at the grassroots level, and it's happening at the national level where you're, where you're trying to get media to be more involved as well. So I think this is definitely a great move from them from that perspective, and it's something that is required at different levels of sort of the operation where Toronto just has this natural relationship with Justin Bieber and the Florida Panthers have to find a way to get more involved in their doing that with the Eric King and possibly some more athletes. Uh, speaking with Justin Cuthbert, Yahoo Sports, NHL, here on Bick and the Boss, Sportsnet 650. Speaking of selling the game, uh, let, let's let's now shift gears a little bit here and talk about the NHL and the Olympics. So, you know, Team Canada, Hockey Canada has to name its staff. It does so yesterday. But it's still under the uh, proviso that, hey, we're not sure if we're going yet. Uh, there could be some real tough restrictions in China. It's not that far away. Uh, what's your sense of, of the NHL's appetite to go? Because obviously to get into that country and to grow the sport of hockey would be a big advantage from a financial point of view, but with the restrictions and COVID and you know just the challenges of some of the things they have to deal with, do you get a sense, even though there's coaches name, that the NHL will participate? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to tend to believe that it's going to happen. I mean, there's obviously a, a plethora of reasons why it might, but the COVID-19 pandemic is obviously the biggest one here. I mean, the fact that they did schedule it in was, a, I think, a huge moment for those who are hoping that this happens. And you mentioned, you know, it's hard to separate Bettman and the owners at all, usually. I mean, they, they, they move in lockstep. Bettman is in charge of those 32 key power brokers in the league. But I think we've been hearing for so long that, you know, it's not going to happen Pyeongchang, but we really want to be there in Beijing because of the Chinese market and how important that is to grow the game globally. We've seen the NBA have so much success with their endeavors in China, even though uh, that hit a, hit a, bit, of, a bit of a hiccup uh, with, a, with some comments made and, and a bit of a, uh, a thing, I believe, with Daryl Morey a couple of years ago. But that's, you know, a time and place, a uh, different time and place. Um, but we've always heard that they wanted to be there, that that's very important to them. And I feel like that is very important to Gary Bettman. I just feel like it's less important to the 32 owners who are worried about their bottom lines, getting out of this pandemic, so on and so forth. So I think Bettman sees it. I think that's probably why it was built into the CBA. And it was a concession, a quote-unquote concession made to help the players get to the table and agree to terms on the CBA extension. They made the agreement, handshake agreement, written agreement. It's all there. So they have to try to get the players there. They put the two weeks into the schedule. It's probably going to happen if it can happen. But will they pull the plug if they have the opportunity or the excuse to pull the plug? Well, perhaps. But I, I feel like we just got through an Olympics. We should be in a better place in six-month time, even though COVID continues uh, to have its challenges grow and grow, and we have to find a way to make the best of it. 
But should we be in a better place in six months? I believe we should. Should there be the opportunity and the ability to get the players to uh, Beijing and compete safely in this tournament? I believe there would. But will the NHL just, just decide it wants to make an excuse because of pressures from the owners? I, I do believe that's still possible. Uh, Justin, John Cooper, you know, I don't think there's a better coach right now considering what he's done in Tampa Bay to take over the job, but how tough a spot is he in if they do go to the Olympics? Because mentioned this yesterday on the show with Canada, it's, it's gold or nothing in, in so many different ways. And they've been so good recently at at the Olympics, even without their top players at the last one coming close. So like, where does it sit with, with him and his, I guess the ability for him to win this gold is, is this just a really tough job to turn down, but also a tough job to take because of the pressure that comes with it. Uh, I I tend to think it's the perfect marriage. I mean, there's been a lot, uh, a lot of pressure on the Tampa Bay lightning in recent seasons and leading up to their back-to-back Stanley cups here. Uh, They were involved in, you know, a disastrous moment against the Columbus blue jackets. I guess it would have been three postseasons ago, crashing out in the first round after a historical regular season. His name was, you know, thought to be potentially on the hot seat after that, but he just shows the sort of composure that's required to win in big moments, and I think that permeates his group. And I think in the last two years, we saw all of that come to fruition. Uh, we've seen how he's dealt with great players. He has a collection of them with the Tampa Bay Lightning, and obviously he'll probably have the best collection of players that we've ever seen on his team with Team Canada if uh, the NHL does indeed go to the Olympics. I think he's got the temperament for this. I think he's got the coaching ability for this. I, I would not worry at all about his, uh, his ability, rather, to rise to the occasion and be able to, to coach these guys to his best, the best of his ability and handle the pressure of being the person in charge of what wouldn't be three consecutive gold medals, but three consecutive gold medals potentially with NHL player involvement. Uh, just one more, Justin, before I let you go. We, we've talked about, you know, influencers, money, China, all that sort of stuff. Uh, just the situation in Minnesota with their, their young superstar, uh, Caprice. What, what, what do you think the likelihood is him going to uh, Russia? Or is this just a big bluff to kind of get what he wants out of, out of the wild, who obviously would love to sign him to a longer-term deal than a shorter one? Yeah, I'm not sure if it's a bluff. I, I really don't think he'd have any trouble uh, making that decision. He had great years at CSK Moscow. Uh, he obviously had a great year with the Minnesota Wild last year, but he has made it known what he wants. The Minnesota Wild, we know, have the financial means to get there. I mean, they just bought out two of the richest contracts in history, uh, in NHL history, that were signed. Obviously, it's going to hurt them in the long run a little bit or in the middle to long term. But in the short term or immediate term, they have a lot of cap space. They have the room to get Kaprizov under contract if they so choose. And that's the thing about this situation is not often do players have the leverage that Kaprizov has right now. He's obviously got leverage in that he might be the most exciting player to ever play for their team, won a Calder Trophy, eighth in goal scoring, a lot of things going on for him. But he's also got the specter of Russia and the fact that he's got a $10 million deal on the table for a team that he just left to join uh, the Minnesota Wild previously. So, uh, you know, he's an RFA, and that comes with, uh, you know, certain concessions that you have to make or certain bits of leverage that you have to give up, but he's been able to create some for himself here, and it's probably going to come down to the Minnesota Wild having to reach his demands because I think he'll simply sign that 
eight-figure deal with Moscow if they don't do it. Justin, fantastic stuff. Really enjoyed the conversation. We'll have to do this again sometime soon. But uh, if we don't talk before the hockey year starts, enjoy the rest of your summer and uh, really appreciate your time. You as well. I'd love to come back on uh, whenever you need me. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, Justin Cuthbert from Yahoo Sports NHL joining us here on Bick and the Boss. And that idea of uh, influencers where we started the conversation with Justin. Fascinating stuff. And, you know, as you mentioned, Bieber in Canada with the Leafs. And, and I, I'll say uh, that it's more unofficial official relationship where maybe he does something for them. They give him a suite. But it'll be fascinating to see how these things get built out. Uh, Michael Buble with the Canucks, perhaps there's some synergy. And we saw him last Christmas go with uh, Elias Pettersson to uh, Canuck Place and do a little bit of singing. Those ties, using some celebrity to draw people to your team, your brand, is something that all pro sports organizations are going to start to use. And now with the NCAA Uh, allowing athletes to use their name, image, and likeness. You're going to see more and more of that uh, down south. It is uh, just a little past 20, past the hour. Time now for our uh, excellent segment, one that Greg Ballack will be able to join in here. It's uh, Don't At Me. Of course, you can take part in uh, Don't At Me on the Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. The smart alternative is at Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver. Online at DunbarLumber.com. Uh, don't at me, uh, Greg. Uh, the Wild may be losing their superstar who's going to head to Russia, never to return to the National Hockey League. I feel like we've heard this one before. <laughs> I feel like a few Russian players have played this card before, and they want to play in the NHL. Make no bones about it. They they do like getting paid, but I feel like the NHL is the ultimate goal for all of these players. And I, I really can't buy into that threat to leave for the KHL. I really can't. I don't know what it is. Yeah, I, here's the thing, though. Is this... Maybe not liking Minnesota, maybe trying to force his way out of there. He he came, he wants to be in the NHL, but perhaps wants to play elsewhere. Could that be part of this uh, leverage he's using with the KHL to get that shorter deal and, and, and find a way to move on, perhaps? And you look at that team, they're, they're tied now with that Parise and Suter buyout. And now they have a bunch of their cap just allotted to dead cap space. So if you're a player who wants to, A, play for a really good hockey team, and B, make a lot of money, Minnesota might not be that place for you. So I, I could see it from that perspective. It's a good call. Uh, this one in the Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. Don't at me. I love hockey, but the U.S. and Canada must boycott the Beijing's games. Every Canadian has to stand behind the two Michaels, wrongfully detained. The U.S. asked us to detain uh, Ming Wang. Uh, and so they have a responsibility to boycott the Beijing games. That's from Croft and Boy. Yeah, that's a terrible mm-hmm. situation right now. And that's the one thing with China, too, Greg, is is their human rights violations and issues there. You just can't let big business and money guide what you're looking at. Yeah, at some point you have to draw the line. And we all know, we've all heard the criticisms of the Olympics and the Olympic Committee, but I really do think that this is going to be a major story as it gets closer and closer because, you know, the the individuals banding together will eventually force the hand of the Olympic Committee. And I, I could definitely see something happening going forward. 
Uh, this one, don't at me, but Dinger should change his name from Taxi Boy. <laughs> oh, jeez. What's up there? Is that, is that what you're going with the baby, Dinger? No. Is it going to be Dinger? Hey, Round Tripper? That was your advice earlier in the show, too, when it comes to naming the baby. Don't don't, <laughs> don't at me to all your friends and family. But yeah, that that, that mascot in uh, in Denver might need a name change. That's that's a good, a good call there. After what happened this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, hey, hey listen, it, it, that's that's one of the the interesting uh topics when it comes to uh just picking a name and and we talked about off the show with you announcing that you and your wife are going to have a baby girl and, and getting to your name is that you want something with longevity. I I I know the trend of of summer and wind and spirit and all these different fantastic names, but I I'm, I'm a more a traditionalist guy. Give me a good Ralph perhaps. <laughs> I just think of Ralph Wiggum, so I, I don't know if I'd be going with too many, too many kids. See that? That's that's what I'm trying to tell you, Greg. Yeah. You don't mention the name beforehand because yeah. people always know something about someone about some person that that's not there. <laughs> well, that's why um, you don't see too many Gregs or Craigs these days because everybody knows a, a jerk Greg or a jerk Craig. It's just what just comes saying? with the name. Th- those are both of our names. What are you saying? <laughs> <laughs> I said what I said. Don't at me. Uh, don't at me. Uh, 650 should talk about Vancouver's Major League Baseball team, the Mariners. I'm guessing that means not the Blue Jays. Mm. Heard that one before. It's going to it's gonna hurt not being able to go down and support the Jays when they're in Seattle, I can tell you that much. Watching it on TV for the first time since I've lived out west, it's going to hurt, C-Mac. It's going to hurt. Yeah, it, it it's going to hurt. A, a ton and the ability not to get down there unless like as i said yesterday you want to hop on a flight really difficult but you know we will try and get uh through this together greg and and watch as best we can but it, it definitely won't be the same uh our producer arts up uh up in my uh grill telling me we got to get off the air here but uh, one more uh don't at me before we go don't at me babies are expensive give greg a raise i like that's that from one shiloh that's I, that's from I- shiloh <laughs> You should add back to that one. Forget don't at me. You, you, that's yeah, a pressing I, I, need right there. You should uh, attend to that one, C-Mac. I, I didn't see it. I just read it. I didn't see it. I didn't see it. Hey, uh, we've got a little uh, football talk coming your way here on Bick and the Boss as Chris Biederman uh, from the Sacramento Bee will stop by to tell us all things about Scott Rintoul's favorite team, the 49ers, and how they're stacking up in that ultra-competitive NFC West. And I'm sure he'll have a little bit of a laugh, too, at the expense of the Seahawks, who have a few more issues than the Niners do, apparently, this offseason. That, some soccer talk on the way, a little more hockey, here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. You're listening to Bick and the Boss on Sportsnet 650. Bick and the Boss brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Give yourself the Avenue advantage and stay under the cap by saving thousands on select Kubota skid steers and excavators. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. Craig McEwen riding solo here on a Tuesday. Bick Nazar working uh, the afternoon drive slot with Satyar Shaw, the People's Show. Bick loves himself some football. He's the one guy I, I, I wish we had on here today as we, we open up a conversation about the National Football League and, and continue our tour around the NFC West because, you know, not only is Bick a big Seahawks supporter, but he's also a, a, a huge football nerd, just looking at every little detail, breaking down every team and, and, you know, the, the, the debates that Vic and I have had about this division 
and how tough it is. And, and, you know, every game when you're playing in the NFC West this year is going to be a, a dogfight. It's going to be a tough, hard-hitting, uh, smash mouth, you know, probably a defensive struggle. And, and all these teams have pretty good offenses, uh, including the, the team we're going to talk about next, the San Francisco 49ers. But it, it's, it's the defenses that, you know, could really tell the tale. That Rams defense, so tough. Arizona improving with J.J. Watt. San Francisco, assuming they're healthy this year, uh, big difference and, and question marks in Seattle, obviously on the defensive side of the ball, but their front looks really strong uh, with, uh, you know, a former, former Niner now joining the way Alden Smith. So it's my pleasure to welcome uh, Chris Biederman from the Sacramento Bee, uh, covers the 49ers, also does the Candlestick Chronicles podcast as well. Uh, Chris, welcome to Bick and the Boss here in Vancouver, Sportsnet 650. And uh, if I start with a question about the 49ers, can you guess what that might be maybe with the quarterback situation going on down there in the Bay Area right now? Yeah, probably. Is it Josh Rosen versus Nate Sudfeld for the, uh, for the number yep. three job? <laughs> that, that's, the one, that's the one exactly I'm looking at, yes, yes. Yeah, no, it's, it's been interesting, right, because you do have Trey Lance, the third overall pick, um, coming in, and I think he, he played very well early on in training camp during the first week. He had consecutive practices and team drills where he had two incompletions combined while also making a number of you know highlight-type throws. Um, but I think things have slowed down for, for Lance just in terms of you know some of those eye-popping plays. Um, I, I think there's still a clear talent advantage for Lance over Jimmy Garoppolo, but in terms of playing the position, I, I think – you know, I don't want to say he's taken a step back, but I think he's been a little bit less efficient than he was those two practices in particular. And, um, you know, the second unit, the second team offense has struggled a little bit as a whole, and Lance is certainly part of that. So while Lance understandably got the hype train rolling early on, I think it's it's come back to earth a little bit over these last few practices. And, and that said, you know, with the preseason opener against the Kansas City Chiefs coming on Saturday – there's certainly an opportunity in front of, you know, the entire world to see, um, you know, if, if Lance can, can get that hype train rolling again in a game situation. So um, it's been real interesting to watch the two quarterbacks. I think Lance outperformed Jimmy Garoppolo um, pretty handily early on, and I think Garoppolo's just been a little bit more steady recently um, in more recent practices. So uh, it, certainly, it certainly feels like Jimmy Garoppolo has, has a decent hold on the starting job for right now, but as we know, things can change pretty drastically, and, and Trey Lance was obviously brought in here to be the long-term starter. So uh, it's not a question of if Trey Lance will be starting games for the 49ers. It's just a question of when. Yeah, and you mentioned Garoppolo. With a veteran guy, there's, there's going to be less peaks and valleys. I mean, Lance will, will show well take a step back, as you mentioned, from time to time. But when it comes to Garoppolo and his mindset and, and taking this head on, from all the stuff that I've read, I'm obviously not down there, that, you know, he's been the consummate pro. He's looking at this as a challenge. And, you know, I, I read somewhere Joe Theismann says, like, don't be a rearview mirror guy. Look behind you, look in front of you, out the, the glass and, and see what the future is. How hard has this been on Jimmy? And, and as you said, he, he's coming along and, and knows probably when he has to turn up anyways. We're, we're weeks away from you know, the opening of the season. How has he handled this whole situation with the competition and, and having the young kid who's got so much hope and hype behind him chasing him? 
Yeah, I think he's handled it pretty well. He was, you know, he, he admitted to being pretty upset when the trade first happened in March. Um, and, and, you know, at the realization that the 49ers were doing all they could basically to, to find his eventual replacement. But, you know, this is a guy who was was in a similar situation in New England with Tom Brady when the shoe was on the other foot. And he was the young guy and he watched how Tom Brady acted and, and basically, you know, continued to play well, continued to prepare and work really hard um, to really ultimately prevent Garoppolo from ever becoming the starter in New England. So I don't think that's a scenario here. I think, like I said, Trey Lance is going to start games, but Jimmy Garoppolo, given he only has you know two years left on that contract he signed back in 2018, um, and given that uh, you know he's sort of at a pivotal point in his career, it behooves him to put his best foot forward, right, and just try to you know play well, help the 49ers win games. And then eventually, you know, he's going to end up on another team. And, and if he does play well, then maybe he might be coveted by another team as, as a starting quarterback. And then the 49ers could potentially get a decent haul uh, in a trade in, in return for Garoppolo. And Garoppolo could make, a little, could, could make a significant amount of money. And if Garoppolo doesn't play well and he loses the, the starting job to Trey Lance, then, you know, it's hard to imagine a team looking at Garoppolo as – as somebody who's more than just sort of a placeholder, uh, you know, a, a, a veteran quarterback you signed to, to sort of bridge the gap between, you know, when, when his next team finds their next young rookie quarterback. So um, it's, it's an interesting scenario for Garoppolo. I think he, you know, he understands that his best, the, the place he can have the most success is, is probably San Francisco, just given the success he had in 2019 his familiarity with the system and his surroundings. It's a really talented offense um, when you look outside the quarterback position. And he understands that, you know, he's at a point in his career where he's just got to play well in order to, uh, in, in order to keep his career going. And if he gets hurt again or he doesn't play well, then he might be, you know, find himself in, in sort of that Teddy Bridgewater realm where, where he's a placeholder at quarterback. So I think he has handled it well. He's, he's certainly learned from Tom Brady in that situation he went through. Uh, with New England early on in his career. And, and by all accounts, Garoppolo is still being a good teammate. Um, I think he's having a fine camp. I wouldn't say he's having a great camp. He's not somebody who's known for being an excellent practice player. But um, I think, you know, being a veteran and, and on a team that could contend, I think there's certainly an opportunity here for Jimmy Garoppolo to take the next step in his career, play well, and, and potentially lead one of the better teams in the NFC. You mentioned the talented offense. I mean, last year, the, the the Niners everywhere ravaged by injuries, you know, whether it was Kittle or, you know, Samuels uh, dinged up. But but I look at their receivers, and I want to just ask a quick question about the running backs in a second, but I look at the receivers and see the 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 tandem of Samuel and Ayuk and, and how dangerous they could be and how potent they are. You know, where are they at? Obviously, Ayuk younger, Samuel having some uh, – Injury woes, is is he poised for a big bounce back? Where do you see this offense trending when it comes to throwing the football outside of, I guess, trying to get, hit George Kittle whenever they can? Yeah, I think one of the one of the real positive developments from the 49ers' perspective has been how their um, top two receivers have looked. The guys you mentioned, Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk, are, are both playing pretty well. And, both, you know, they both make a handful of catches and some deep catches during each practice. And so Samuel it's a particularly big year for him because as you mentioned, he, he dealt with injuries last year. He never really got to practice at, at any sort of consistent rate last year because he had the foot injury over the summer. He broke his foot. 
Um, it took a little bit longer for him to come back than, than he anticipated, and then he had a hamstring issue. Uh, he dealt with a, uh, some time on the COVID list last year during the season, and so he just never really got going, and so it, it, it prevented his game from really evolving to where the 49ers won and, and, and needed to be in terms of him being more of a downfield threat and more of a consistent guy who gets downfield rather than just sort of that gadget um, jet sweep running type receiver. Um, so it looks like he's taking that step. It looks like he's in good shape. And, and Brandon Ayuk um, seems like he's poised to to break out as one of the better young receivers in the league. And, and there are a ton of them throughout the league right now. But Ayuk seems like he's he's much more comfortable within the offense going into year two. Um, last season was really tough on rookies, given the fact that there was no real offseason program because of COVID. Um, so he seems to be benefiting from all the extra time he's had on the field and looks poised to to potentially be a viable number one receiver. Now we know George Kittle is going to be um, and most, most likely the, the number one target when it comes to the passing game. But I think Ayuk and Samuel are having excellent camps and, uh, and, you know, they could take the offense to a different level um, no matter who's at quarterback because of, of just how versatile they can be. And, you know, in, in, pair that with Kyle Shanahan's ability to get guys open and, and get guys open in space. He's, these are two guys who are really good athletes, really good with the ball in their hands. Um, so I think they, they both could be poised for big years just based on what we've seen so far in training camp. Chris Biederman from the Sacramento Bee covers the 49ers for them, also from the Candlestick Chronicles podcast. Uh, what about running backs? I mean, as a fantasy football player, that always drives me nuts with, with Shanahan and his rotation, how he moves things around. But where do we sit there? And, and a couple of rookies have impressed in camp so far? Yeah, I would say Raheem Mostert is still clearly the, the number one guy. And, and the guy, just given his speed and athleticism, probably the guy most likely to you know to break a big play here and there. But I think one thing the 49ers learned last year when, when Mostert you know, missed half the season because of a high ankle injury, he's probably not somebody who you want to have you know, give the ball to every running play and you know, have him get 20, 25 touches a game. I think he's probably better off from a long-term perspective if you're giving them 10 to 15 touches and then you mix in other guys behind them. So I think the, the, num- the clear number two guy right now is their third-round pick, Trey Sermon, out of Ohio State who's not quite the, the speedy burner that, that Mostert is, but is somebody who's more physical between the tackles. Maybe somebody, if, you know, if you're leading a game in the fourth quarter, you're more, more prone to use on, on those inside runs, those more powerful style runs. I, I think he's, he's poised to have a, a pretty big role within the offense. He's, he's very clearly the number two guy right now, I would say. And then you have um, Elijah Mitchell, who's kind of a, a hybrid of both. I would say he's, he's got a, um, a physical running style, but he's also somebody who ran in the in the four threes leading into the draft. Um, and he was a late round pick and somebody the 49ers like a decent amount. And you have veteran Wayne Gallman who got a lot of run last year with the New York Giants when Saquon Barkley got hurt. Um, he's kind of a wild card. Uh, it's it's unclear exactly how many running backs the 49ers are going to keep, um, but they do have Jeff Wilson Jr. who's nursing a knee injury. He might be able to come back mid season, maybe October, November. Um, so they do have probably the most depth that they've had at running back, I would say, since Kyle Shanahan has, has been here. Um, but, you know, they're always question marks because running backs just get hurt a lot. And the 49ers have dealt with a lot of running back injuries over the last few years. So they, they tried to address that by adding some depth this year. And if all works well, it could be a, a really talented group that, that seems to have styles that complement each other. But 
Um, for now, I think for in, in terms of, you know, fantasy value, I think the, the clear top two guys are going to be Raheem Mostert and Trey Sermon. Um, and then it might be, you know, situationally, depending on who's hurt, uh, you know, if, if guys lower on the death chart end up getting carries. Just before we let you, you go here, I wanted to ask your opinions, uh, observations about the defense. And as mentioned in the preamble, this this division is so tough. And, you know, you look at that Rams defense, the, the Cardinals defense got better. You know, the Niners, as long as they're healthy, and that's where I want to start with, with obviously it kind of it starts and ends up front and on the edge with D Ford and Nick Bosa. Uh, where are they at? Uh, how is Ford looking after that that back injury? And obviously, Bosa, you know, is battling his way back. Like, what's what's the prognosis and prediction for this defense if, if those two guys can lead the way? Yeah, Ford has been one of the pleasant surprises of camp. I would say he's, um, you know, despite all the questions about his long term future throughout the off season, he's he's been a pretty regular uh, player at practice when. You know, guys dealing with injuries typically don't practice a whole lot. Nick Bosa hasn't um, hasn't been participating in full team drills, but he's and he's given every third day off coming off the knee injury. But he looks like he's in phenomenal shape. We we get to see him do individual drills from time to time, and and it doesn't look like he's hampered too much by the knee injury. And he said, and Kyle Shanahan said that he's on track to to be available for Week One. So it doesn't sound like the 49ers are concerned about that with Ford there's always concern because um because of the nature of back injuries and how they can really prop up at any time but I think uh I think so far the early returns are are positive regarding Ford because he has practiced maybe a little bit more than than we expected and and surely the 49ers would have expected um another guy to to maybe keep an eye on is Samson Ebukam he was an outside linebacker with the Rams who the 49ers are they brought in as, as a free agent in the offseason to be more of a pass rushing specialist a, a defensive end maybe in that similar mold as Ford somebody who's really athletic and explosive off the edge um, so maybe in his new role where he's just focused on pinning his ears back and getting after the quarterback he can be more productive uh, he never had more than four and a half sacks during his four seasons with the Rams but it might be that the switch of changing of uh, his role could unlock some some pass rushing potential there so yeah it, it all starts up front for them and there are certainly more questions in the secondary this year because you know Richard Sherman is gone uh, Jason Verrett who's who's really been outstanding throughout camp is healthy and playing at a high level but he's he's a guy the former first round pick of the Chargers years ago who's dealt with a ton of injuries throughout his career he seems like he's in a good place mentally and, and playing with a lot of confidence when it comes to you know, belief in his body and, and his ability to stay healthy. But there's always a question about his long-term um, viability, just given that lengthy injury history. But, you know, I would say if there's a real concern about the 49ers defense, it might be a lack of depth in the secondary. There isn't a whole lot behind Jason Verrett and Emmanuel Mosley, their starting cornerbacks. They did use draft picks on Ambry Thomas from Michigan, but he didn't play last season. He opted out during the pandemic. And then Diamador Lenore, um, is a fifth round pick from Oregon who looks like he could, you know, it looks like he has the right mindset and demeanor and all those things, but he's somebody when he's out there with uh, going against the second and first team, he's, he gets picked on a lot and, and that's to be expected for a rookie. Um, but he's not, he hasn't made a ton of plays and there's still, you know, he still seems a little raw, still seems like he's getting used to the speed and technique of the NFL. So that's, those are certainly question marks there because I, I think if you were to look at this roster as a whole and say, 
you know, where could they use another another body, another high end prospect or, or you know, talented free agent? I would say it would be cornerback. And so um, I, I think that's certainly going to be a question mark, particularly against, you know, the, the other teams in the NFC West, because there are so many good receivers throughout the division. Um, that'll be an area of concern for sure. I think the way the 49ers have constructed this team, though, they're hoping that get, getting Nick Bosa back um, and playing at a high level and, and Javon Kinlaw, the first-round pick from a year ago on the inside, paired with Eric Armstead, if they can get after the quarterback like they did in 2019, that could help their secondary out a lot. So I think that's what they're banking on. But if they can't get after the quarterback and if they do deal with injuries up front like they did last year, it could be a rough go for the defense um, and new you know, first-year coordinator D'Amico Ryans. But um, you know, overall, I think they're confident that they are going to be able to get after the quarterback. We'll just have to see. But if the defense is going to be successful and the 49ers are going to be contending, I think that it's going to be because they're able to pressure the quarterback and um, and sack the quarterback at a decent amount and force turnovers that way because I just don't know that they have the horses in the secondary to keep some of these really talented offenses of uh, of the NFC West at bay without a really good pass rush. Chris, fantastic stuff. Uh, best of luck covering the Niners this season and best of luck with your charitable event uh, this coming Friday. The uh, Candlestick Chronicles Juicy IPA looks really good. It's too bad we can't get it here in Vancouver, but I'm sure there will be a few consumed uh, when you uh, hold your uh, event on, uh, I believe it's this coming Friday. Yeah, Friday. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, I look forward to, uh, to talking to you guys again. Yes, Chris uh, Biederman from the Sacramento Bee uh, covers the 49ers, also from the Candlestick Chronicles podcast. Joining us here on Bick and the Boss, Sportsnet 650. Interesting stuff about uh, San Francisco and where they're at. It sounds a little bit like Seattle when they have some problems in the secondary that uh, they're going to need to have a good pass rush to get after the likes of uh, Russell Wilson, uh, Matthew Stafford, Kyler Murray. So that'll be interesting to watch this year as that division is going to be a slugfest to see who can um, come out on top and and set themselves up for a playoff run. Uh, Just a couple of uh, quick notes from the Dunbar Lumber text inbox 650-650. Uh, this one, when we were talking about Greg Ballack and, and he's having a, a baby girl and, and picking a name, it says, uh, the late don't at me submission. Don't at me. If C-Mac has another kid in his life, it'll be named Jim Benning McEwen. Yes. There's probably not the likelihood of me having another kid, but if well I do, done. I will definitely, I will definitely Greg call it, uh, Jim Benning McEwen. That, that'll be good. I, I give a clap and, for that uh, one. That's, that's a well done. Don't at me right there. Yeah, that that was good. We we we, sh- we should have got that in a little earlier. And and uh, don't at me. This is from uh, Marion Richmond. Uh, As a new listener, I've had a text read on every 650 program except yours. Please read this text on air for no reason. So there we go. We've read it for no reason. Thank you for listening, Mario. As always, you can all contribute. Uh, 650 650 on the Dunbar Lumber text inbox. Um, Lots more to come here, an hour or two of Bick and the Boss, including a little uh, soccer conversation, some more hockey, and uh, a little bit later, some fantasy football uh, advice from Andy McNamara, who does the uh, fantasy show here on Sportsnet uh, 650 on the weekends. He will get you ready for your year and, and tell you, you know, who you should be looking at uh, down in Seattle. Uh, big shocker here, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and Russell Wilson, but Sorry to spoil that for you all, but you knew it was coming anyways. That and much, much more here on Bick and the Boss on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.
the official home of the Canucks. Tiki Pete comes out of the box and puts the puck into the back of the net. Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Bick and the Boss. Craig McEwen here. As you heard the update there from Marcus Fitzgerald, lots of hockey news trickling in here today. Uh, one thing he didn't mention is that the LA Kings have signed defenseman Brant Clark to a three-year entry-level contract. It's uh, still the uh, dog days of summer in the National Hockey League, but some business getting done as well. And, it, and it's really hard to believe that in 181 days between the closing ceremony in Tokyo, it'll be the opening ceremony of the Winter Games in Beijing on February the 4th. Uh, you know, with all that's going on in China right now and, and the Dunbar Lumber text inbox 650-650, a number of people mentioned uh, their human rights, the two Michaels. It's it's not the cleanest of entries into the Olympics, and it's still unclear if the NHL will send its players for the, the second straight Olympics. Will they miss it or, or will they go this time around? Uh, it became a headline event uh, after the introduction of the NHL in 98 at the Games, but they obviously took a skip last time. Uh, that hasn't stopped Hockey Canada from naming its coaches. And so now, I guess the attention will have to turn on the roster makeup. Who's in? Who's out? Who is John Cooper and his staff looking at to you know wear that maple leaf on their chest and try and carry on the strong tradition of hockey in this country at the Olympic Games, um, lots of planning to be done. Uh, the coaches are in, players still to be selected. And uh, earlier today on the leadoff with Scott MacArthur and uh, Gord Stelic, former NHL head coach Bruce Boudreaux joined uh, the show and, and he talked about uh, picking players, the selection, and, and, and what goes into that when, when people start to lobby for their guys. Somebody always gets upset about these things, but I mean... Uh, um... I personally think that it's great that when they don't pick their own player, uh, it to me it tells me they're looking at this thing strictly from a team standpoint and not from a personal uh, standpoint of what it's going to do for me when we start getting playing hockey again. Um, I, you know, and I think it's 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 all about positioning. I mean, um, Ryan O'Reilly is a different player than Steven Stamkos. I mean. Uh, it, it's a it's a it's a big difference, but I mean I don't know how much uh, uh, Coop has to uh, put into into that uh, into the the picking of the players and that, but uh, it'll be interesting because there's so many good Canadian players that uh, uh, somebody's going to be left out, somebody's feelings are going to be hurt, but uh, in the end they're going to have the best team on the planet, so it doesn't you know it's going to be justified for whatever pick they they uh, picks they do use. With Bruce Boudreaux, do, do you think we get nitpicky, Bruce? And that might be a dangerous question to ask if the obvious answer is, is yes. Or or do you think there's a legitimate conversation to be had about, hey, just load up on top-end skill, uh, 1 through 12 up front, 1 through 6 uh, plus the extras on the back end, and and obviously in net? Or, or are there spots... For role players, I mean, we've seen it work both ways. Chris Draper was a big part of the 2002 Olympic team. There have been grinders who have contributed in specific roles. 
what what do you think is the best approach to building an Olympic team uh, when you think, have so much talent? I think the best way to do it is pick a team and not just players. I mean, uh, uh, let's face it, back in the 70s or 80s, if you were just picking the talent, would Bob Ganey ever have made any of these Olympic teams and, and Team Canada's? No, I mean, but he was the perfect player for this sort of situation. And sometimes we forget other nations have got almost just as many great players as we do in Canada. But, I mean, so you have to pick the team. And I think, uh, I mean, it'll probably be three lines deep of super talented players up front, but that fourth line is going to have to be a grinder line that the, the centerman's got to be able to win face-offs. They've got to be able to check because when you're playing Sweden and they have so many talented players or you're playing Russia or the U.S., I mean, you got to be able to have guys that are that are great defenders, and sometimes we forget that some of the best offensive players in the world really don't like uh, to check. I mean, uh, uh, you know, they're not great in their own zone; they're ready to go all the time. And you need it. I think you need a, a, a good combination of both if you're going to win. So, Bruce, uh, you, you used to kid about Kirill Kaprasov. You wished he'd come over one or two years earlier. He was uh, a draft by the Minnesota Wild. It took a t- took a while to get him here. Uh, how serious is because his only leverage is he doesn't have arbitration rights. He had a rookie of the year season and the KHL right now, because that seems to be the leverage point about Minnesota, or the KHL, are Minnesota worried or do they think they're going to get him back in the fold? No problem at some point. Well, I got to believe that uh, they're pretty sure at some point that they'll get him back in the fold. But at the same time, um, I think Kirill's, Using the leverage he has and saying he's got a ten million dollar deal in uh, in Moscow that uh, that he's going to take that um, I would think Minnesota's got to be a little worried about. They don't want to go to ten million right now, but uh, uh, I think in the end they're going to pay with this with uh, what they need to for this player because they've been waiting for him for so long. The fan base has been waiting for him. So long, and most of the year there was no fans in the building, so all they could do was listen about how great this kid is. And now that the fans are going to be back in the building, Minnesota's not going to want to lose the only real superstar they've had since Marion Gabrick. Yeah, ten million dollars in a in a bag, wads of cash over there in Russia. Yeah. It's done a little differently uh, with with Bruce <laughs> Boudreau. Uh, something to chew on is brought to you by Great Canadian Meat. So uh, here are some terms and dollar figures for top defensemen this offseason. Dougie Hamilton, New Jersey, 7-63 and 63 for a $9 million AAV. Kale McCarr, Colorado, a second contract, six years, 54 for a $9 million AAV. Darnell Nurse, 8-74 and 74 for 9.25 in Edmonton. Seth Jones, after being acquired from Columbus, gets 8-76 and 76 for 9.5 AAV in Chicago. Zach Wierenski says, okay, Columbus, you want me to stay? Pay me slightly more on an AAV than Seth. And he gets 6-57.5 and 57 and a half for 9.58 on the AAV. All of this to lead to the question, Bruce. The Toronto Maple Leafs, in less than a year, have a Morgan Riley situation to deal with. Where do you think he slots given everything I just laid out. Wow. It's a, um, you know, I think a lot's going to depend on this year and it, and quite frankly, I think a lot will be de- depend on the Leafs power play. 
Because if the Leafs power play can get back to 23, 24%, that means you're adding 15 more points for Morgan Riley uh, on the back end, uh, being on the first unit. And if that happens, then all of a sudden the numbers really jump up. I mean, um, into that kind of stratosphere. And then, and uh, uh, so, I mean, if he's a 60-point guy, and so much is based upon statistics. So, I mean, that's the way you, you sort of have to look at it. I mean, Dougie Hamilton's not the greatest defensive player or the, the toughest guy or anything else, but his numbers indicate that this is where he's going to get um, paid. So, I mean, I truly believe that he could be in this world. He's a $9 million player if he, he puts up those kind of numbers. And there's no reason to think that he can't with the – what the firepower the Leafs have up front. And to me, the big question is, is are people going to look at him as a power play quarterback if the Leafs power play struggles like they did last year? So uh, you're, you've coached teams that are always in the playoffs. And sometimes there's playoff success. Sometimes there's playoff disappointment. So there's a lot of teams. It's not just the Leafs, but the Pittsburgh Penguins and Edmonton and Winnipeg. I mean, their seasons end with a thud, a resounding thud, and really kind of taint any success they had. Does that make it hugely important, particularly if your coach, like, get off on the right foot? I'm not saying you're going to get fired in that, but the reality is nowadays, who knows? But does that added pressure that, okay, it's an 82-game season, but we really got to look at the, the the first 15 more so than we normally do? Well, I think so, especially in today's day and age. I mean, uh, uh, I think it's such a, a win-now league that um, uh, I don't think owners are really very patient sometimes. And, and I think a lot of owners were patient last year um, because they, you know, I mean, because of the uh, the pandemic and no people in the building and everything else. But I think now I think uh, people are going to be a little quicker to judge. And, uh, uh, you know, to me as a coach, I, I would definitely want to be have my team prepared in the first 10 games because that's when you can really take advantage of other teams that aren't ready. And uh, if you can go, Seven two and one in your first ten games, rather than one seven and two, uh, you're you're going to be in a lot better position come um, Christmas time. Because I think it used to be um, uh, American Thanksgiving that they would start to really make make thoughts on moves on coaches and that. But I think uh, with the later start this year, it'll probably be closer to Christmas. That was uh, Bruce Boudreau talking uh, with the folks at the Fan 590 in uh, Toronto and, and, and mentioning that quick start. And that's really something uh, the Canucks will have to key on as well. This is a, a, a win-now league in the National Hockey League. And one of the things that Vancouver needs to do is to get out of the gate a lot better than they did last year. Having a training camp, some new faces, uh, that'll no doubt help the Canucks cause. But bottom line, success early on can help you set up for success later in the year when it comes to making the playoffs and doing well in the uh, postseason. Still on the Vancouver Pro Sports scene, the Vancouver Whitecaps, uh, went into L.A. this uh, past weekend and, and earned a point against the third-best team in the West, but it's uh, not enough when you start getting singles to climb uh, up the conference standings. Uh, Caps undefeated in five, and uh, they've got four straight draws there, uh, getting points very slowly, 
But when you look at the the record overall, only three wins this season, and quite frankly, that's not good enough. The challenge, obviously, for Vancouver is the fact that they haven't been able to play at home, and every game is basically a road one, even though they set up shop in Salt Lake City. And, you know, if you look at what the Blue Jays have had success coming back to Toronto, you can only hope that bigger and better things are coming for the Caps as they finally get back to BC Place at the end of this month. But uh, in the 77th minute, Ryan Gold made his debut. uh, And perhaps that's a sign of bigger and better things to come. He didn't play a ton, but was sure impactful and showed his class of what he can and can do on the the soccer field and and earlier on Halford and Bruff he joined them and decided uh, to tell the boys about why he decided to come to Vancouver and what he likes about his new home. The most important thing for me was um, you know how much they they really wanted me here how much confidence they had that I could add um, an extra something to the team Um, and feeling really wanted like that made um, made their pitch a lot easier and then obviously they showed me like the stadium, the training ground and the facilities that they've got here are incredible so um, you know it wasn't too hard of a decision to make. Were you able to visit Vancouver uh, before you made the decision or did you have to just kind of look at pictures? Uh, yeah because of COVID that it wasn't possible to um, to visit Vancouver before making the decision so all my all my research is done online, checking out the city, the the training ground and stuff. Um, but yeah, you can you can see even from photos how lovely the city is, and I've not I've not been disappointed since getting here. Did you feel like it was still you know the fact that you weren't able to visit? Did you feel like it was quite a leap of faith that you had to take? Um, yeah, I guess it was. But in in football, you've got to. Uh, you've got to trust that you're you're making the right decisions um, whenever you do make tough decisions. So, um, yeah, like I said, I've I've definitely made the right decision. And I'm happy to be here, and I'm I'm looking forward to um, the future here. You know, this isn't the first time that you've kind of gone out and maybe done something that was uh, maybe out of the norm. Uh, for those that don't know, you obviously grew up playing in Scotland, uh, went through the Dundee United Academy and through their team, and then a transition to one of the biggest clubs in Portugal in sporting. And that's, I mean, if you look at the history of football, there's not a, a, a massive pipeline between Scotland and Portugal players going there. So can you explain to the listeners what that was like leaving Dundee as a young player and then going somewhere where it's a new language, it's a new country, it's a new culture entirely, and how it went for you? Um, well, well, it was something I was always interested in since I was really young, like 13, 14 years old. Um, I said that I wanted to try playing in Europe not it's not really a common route for a lot of British kids to go to to Europe mm-hmm. to, to play and I said from a young age that I really would like to try it and so when the opportunity arose you know I, I jumped at it and um, you know it was tough when I first went over there not knowing the language not knowing anybody there but um, it's like anything with time you settle and uh you know, I, I definitely made the right decision. I, I had great experiences there, made great friends. Um, so it was definitely a an interesting move, but definitely a good one. Uh, how strong was the pull to stay in Portugal and try and get uh, friends back up into the, the Premier Liga? Um, yeah, it was tough to leave Ferenc because I had two 
Um, personally, I had two good years there, but I felt like the time was the time was right to for a new challenge to try something new. Um, and so when you know when the offer came from the Whitecaps, it wasn't like I was between choosing here or staying in in Farent in Portugal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was quite a easy decision to make in the end. We're speaking to a new Whitecap signing, Ryan Gauld, here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Ryan, of course, made his debut over the weekend, a 1-1 draw with the LA Galaxy. Um, when you told those closest to you, Ryan, that you were going to try and go to play MLS, what was the response like? What do people think about leaving Europe at an age that you are? I mean, we've seen a lot of guys come over at the tail end of their careers. We haven't seen a lot of guys come over at the peak of their career to settle and make roots in Major League Soccer. What was the response from those closest to you when you said, I'm going to North America, I'm going to Vancouver? Uh Everyone closest to me was very supportive. Um, delighted that you know I would have the opportunity to play in this league um, and to live in such a great city. Um, and I, yeah, being at this age, you know, I didn't want to be one. I've never been one to come over and um, you know go somewhere just for the lifestyle. It's all it is all football related. So I wanted to come over when I can give the best of what I've got and um, hopefully I'll be able to show that. Uh, how disappointed were you that you were left off the, the, the Scottish team at the Euros? Uh, I imagine the opportunity to take on England at Wembley, that would have been uh, a, a dream come true for you. Um, how did you feel like when when you didn't make the cut and, and perhaps going forward, what are your aspirations to play internationally? Um, yeah, to get left out of the Euro squad is a bit disappointing after the season I had, but um, you know the, the manager chose the players that got him there, which is fair enough. And um, yeah, in the future, I'm I'm definitely still looking to um, make in at the Scotland squad. Nothing's changed there. Um, you know, as long as I as long as I keep playing, it's always going to be a objective of mine to to get to the national team. We're speaking to uh, the newest Whitecap signing, Ryan Gauld, here on the Halford & Brush Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, your thoughts on the squad, Ryan? You got a chance to get in, as I mentioned. It was a 1-1 draw uh, against the Galaxy over the weekend. Uh, you came on as a substitute in about the 75th minute. Uh, there was all, you, you created a lot, and that was the feedback that we got from everyone that watched the match and was covering it from very me- various media perspectives is that um, in a very short window, you delivered on the excitement that a lot of people had. How did you feel that it went? Um, yeah, I felt like it went well. Um, my first game in, in quite a long time, so um, you know, wasn't expecting anything out of the ordinary. But no, I think it went well, and most importantly, the um, we got a, a good point against a good side. Um, so we'll we'll look to build on that, the team and myself personally, um, getting more minutes. So there's a lot a lot to look forward to. Uh, how much experience did you have prior to coming to Vancouver on playing on turf? Um, the most of my my childhood playing on uh, was playing on turf pitches. So uh, I'd like to hope my body's still my body's still used to it, and it shouldn't hopefully be too big of an adjustment. 
You know, we've seen some guys come over to MLS uh, at this around the close to this image that you are and really forge out a long career with one particular organization. I think of a guy like Diego Valeri in Portland. Uh, to a lesser degree, he came over when he was a little bit older, but Bradley Wright Phillips played a long time uh, as well. What's your long-term goal? Is it to be a white cap and help them build something here? Or do you eventually envision maybe some aspirations to going back to Europe? Uh, no, at, at the moment, I'm definitely just focused on being at the Whitecaps. I think three years and, you know, I fully intend on, um, you know, being here that full time and doing what I can to help um, this club move forward and progress. And, um, you know, we'd love to reach the, the stage where we're, you know, regularly into the playoffs and becoming a very competitive team. So that's definitely the long term aim is to, to be a part of this club and um you know try and help push forward in any way that I can. Yeah, you know, and the long term goes both ways because the Whitecaps have their vision as well. I know when they gave the pitch to you about joining Vancouver, there was a lot of it in the present, like we have this training facility, we have this team. What was the long term vision? Maybe it could be from coming from Axel more so than Mark, about how they see this progressing over your time with the Caps. Did they talk about uh, other targets that they have or something that they're trying to build? moving ahead so it's not just about, you know, Ryan joins the club in 2021 and helps us this season. What was the long-term pitch that they made to you? Um, well, you see um, a lot of the signings the club's made recently. It's um, young players that have got a lot of potential. So um, you can see that the club is not just thinking about now. They're, um, they're planning for the future. And, um, you know, they're looking to become one of the, like, one of the big competitive teams um, as soon as possible so it wasn't just a matter of sign the contract and that's you here um, that's it um, you know there's a lot of young exciting players in the team and um, they'll grow um, a lot of potential and hopefully they can be a, a big part of the team in the future uh, finally we got to ask you because you were dubbed the Scottish Messi and we use that term several times on the program in describing your style of play. Are you better than him? <laughs> yeah, do you, well, do you love that or do you hate that? Uh, I'm not. I'm not the biggest fan of it. Yeah. Because uh, I suppose it was when I was 18 that first got um, that first got thrown about. And when you put like when you compare yourself to to Messi, you know, it's not it's not, it's not really going to go well if you're comparing yourself to him. So I wasn't I wasn't the biggest fan of it, but. Just try to forget about it, get on with my own game and, you know, do what I can do. Ryan Gold, an interview with Halford and Bruff this morning here on Sportsnet 650. And he's obviously not the first Scottish player to uh, join the Whitecaps uh, back in the day. Barry Robson and uh, Kenny Miller were involved uh, with the Caps. And, and in you know, the hope here being that, He's uh, galled more like uh, Miller than Robson. Listen, Robson was a, a very good midfielder in Scotland, but it, his game didn't necessarily translate coming to Vancouver. I'm not sure how comfortable he was playing here, while Kenny Miller, uh, being the poacher, bagging some goals, seemed to be a, a little more at ease in his surroundings. The turf didn't seem to bother him, was more impactful for the Whitecaps, scored some uh, nice goals for the side here and and you know continued on with his Scottish career as well and and Gold 
it's not unheard of for a player to play in North America and, and make your national team, but it will be interesting to see how that goes as Scotland hopes to progress from the Euros, uh, making it there and, and with World Cup qualifying. If Ryan Gold can do some stuff here in Vancouver, but wish him nothing but the best. Uh, the Caps in action again on uh, Friday in San Jose. And uh, as mentioned, they're on their way back to BC Place here at the end of the month. They return on August the 21st. So uh, all you Cap fans out there, I am sure you were extremely excited to see your team back at BC Place after a super long absence. And we'll be able to chant, cheer, and uh, jeer the home side as they look to uh, gain some ground in, in the West, uh, start to pick up three points as opposed to one, and maybe move themselves up the table uh, before the, the end of the year. Uh, one more segment to go here on Bick and the Boss. Andy McNamara from the Fantasy Show uh, runs here uh, on Sportsnet 650. He'll stop by and give us his thoughts on uh, what's going on in training camp, who you should be looking out for for your fantasy football team. So if you have any questions for Andy, please feel free to text him into the Dunbar Lumber text inbox 650-650 and uh, he can give you his thoughts, best opinions on what you should be doing as you prepare for your fantasy football season coming up here. Uh, most people start in September when the regular season starts, the draft close to there. Some of you might have already done it in the books, but a lot of us are still waiting anxiously for that. And Andy will be here to give us the insight that is needed to win your championship. You're listening to Bick and the Boss on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. You're listening to Bick and the Boss on Sportsnet 650. Craig McEwen here. Hope your Tuesday's a good one. And you're rolling right along. Listening to... All types of sports here on Sportsnet 650, your official home of the Canucks. This is Bick and the Boss, Bick Nazar, joining Satyar Shaw momentarily at the top of the clock for the People's Show. We'll tee up what they've got going here uh, very soon, but uh, Bick is also one of our uh, our fantasy uh, gurus, experts here at the station, locally, that is. Of course, in the Sportsnet uh, radio network, we also have some pretty intelligent uh, fantasy pickers, prognosticators, and uh, guys who can help you win championships. One of them is uh, the next guest here on Bick and the Boss, Andy McNamara, who does the fantasy show on uh, Sportsnet 650, and also the show runs in Calgary and, and Toronto. And uh, Andy, when he's not uh, chowing down on a pizza... Uh, he is chowing down on the stats, figures, and intel that you need to uh, come out on top in uh, fantasy football land. So uh, I believe Greg Ballack is uh, Andy on the line. Not yet. Andy is not here. He's probably doing some deep dive research, analytical, statistical uh, look at uh, which quarterback you should take or who's going to be the sleeper on the Seattle Seahawks this year. So fantasy football is one of those things where if you've never taken part, uh, it's it's a rush. It's addictive. It's one of those things where you get bragging rights. You can do it with your family, your friends. It doesn't have to be serious. And we also want to open up the Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. Uh, we have some 
questions rolling in and uh, it's my pleasure now to welcome Andy to the show. Andy, appreciate you doing this, um, putting down your Domino's pizza for a second and uh, giving us uh, some of the best of the best intel in fantasy football. I, I would assume, you know, this year with actual preseason games, getting to see the the rookies that were drafted, that, that this is, you know, a lot more exciting this time around than last year when we just kind of rolled into a regular season. Well, yeah, it's a great point. And uh, I think more so we just have more information, right? Like, like information, obviously, for fantasy football is so important. Last year, it was all, well, you, you don't know how receiver A was catching it from the quarterback, or you didn't get to see or hear having reported, hey, this guy's actually rising up the depth chart and is impressing, or so-and-so looked, looked like he was limping. You never had that information, so you were kind of just going off of what you remembered and, and data from the previous year. So it was, it was very tricky. So now, you know, we're one preseason game in. We're able to, to see others get camp reports and, and see who's doing what where. Much more valuable, and that's going to get back, uh, us back to where we usually were, of being able to make more informed decisions. Andy McNamara joining us here in Vic and the Boss. He's the host of the Fantasy Show that runs on uh, Sportsnet across the country. Uh, we'll dive into, you know, sleepers, draft strategy, all that sort of stuff. Uh, we'll get on the, ten, the Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650, some questions there already. But I wanted to start because we are in Seahawks country here, and, and I know you roll out team previews and you know, is it just as simple as going, you know, Carson, Metcalf, Lockett, and, and Russell Wilson? Four pretty good uh, football players to pick from. But when you look at the Seahawks, where's the value? What, what should we be expecting? And, and you know, I, I guess in my ask would be, could DK Metcalf even take another step this year? I am a huge DK Metcalf believer. Uh, l- let me just say that. He was, I called him my combine darling when he came out. I have like a combine crush every year when there is a combine and DK Metcalf flew off the page. And I laugh and I would say on the fantasy minute and on the fantasy show all the time, people say, Oh, well he didn't run advanced routes in college. And my reply was, uh, so what? I can teach a guy if he's willing to, to run a skinny post. I can't teach six, four two forty five who can run as fast as a T Y Hilton in his prime and sculpt it out of clay, like a Greek God. I can't teach that. But I can teach a guy to run a route. And lo and behold, DK Metcalf can run routes. He can learn how to run routes. And he's one of the most dominant physical specimens in the National Football League. So I think absolutely. I wouldn't be surprised. Like, if I'm, if I'm looking at the top receivers this year, I'm looking at Stephon Diggs. I'm looking at Devontae Adams, uh, Justin Jefferson, and DK Metcalf. Sort of right in that top chunk right there. Uh, so I believe we're going to see Tyler Lockett take I think a bit of a step back again, and maybe sort of already where we expect. Like, I, I feel comfortable with Tyler Lockett on my fantasy team if he's my mid-range WR2. My mid-guy, he's going to be pretty consistent now. He's going to have his ups, downs a little bit, but he's going to be pretty reliable. I want as many shares as DK Metcalf as I can get. And then you have somebody like, let's say, a Freddie Swain who's, who's in and, and sort of the, the other backdrop. I don't outside of flyers or just bench depth stashes to try to go a handcuff route. I don't really see any notable receivers that you want to jump out. Like, okay, that's a sleeper guy. Like with, let's say the Raiders who I'm, I'm huge on Brian Edwards 
uh, in his sophomore year coming back healthy, and that's a bit of an under-the-radar type of guy. I don't see that on the Seahawks when it comes to wide receivers specifically. What about the uh, the tight ends? We, we know they have a new mm-hmm. offensive coordinator, Gerald Everett, comes to Seattle. And, you know, they're talking about getting the ball out quicker with Russell Wilson, moving the tempo of the offense and, and, you know, helping the O-line so they don't have to, you know, count five steamboats every time someone's rushing rushing after Russ. So do you you get a sense that with a change of philosophy there and maybe them using that tight end position, or is it too hard in the sense that there's three guys that they almost look like they might rotate in and out into that position that, you know, there's no obviously George Kittle or anything like that on Mm -hmm. that football team. Yeah, I see that position group cannibalizing itself a bit when it comes to fantasy. Um, We've seen Will Disley be pretty darn impressive in the past when he can stay healthy in flashes. I wouldn't count out Colby Parkinson. Now second year in, huge wingspan on that guy. So all of a sudden you have Gerald Everett, and you have to follow the money in fantasy football, right? You follow the money. Gerald Everett came in. He's getting paid. So is he going to get the first look? Probably um, but what does that mean when you want to get the ball into the hands of DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, who you can also, now, you know, do, do you want DK stretching the field? Yes, doesn't have to. So you can line those guys up. They have the talent to be lined up everywhere. I don't see the standalone value in Gerald Everett as a true tight end one. Now, that being said, as we saw last year, if you go through the top 12 tight ends, which would technically be tight end, you know, a starting tight end, um, once you got past number four or five, the numbers were very pedestrian, uh, not impressive guys. You wouldn't really want, and you're just going to be getting single digit fantasy points out of them, but technically they're a starting tight end. So for this Seattle group, I would say no for the tight end group. I think there's some, uh, some value on the running back side, but not at the tight end. Andy McNamara joining us here on Sportsnet 650. One more in the Seahawks. And I'll just ask about Russell Wilson. You know, QB1, uh, obviously, Russ was cooking last year. I I don't get the sense that it's going to be the same type of offense, but do you shy away a little bit from Russell just knowing how tough that division is, how tough those defensives are? You know, what the Rams have, the Cardinals have gotten better with J.J. Watt. You know, you assume the Niners can't be as dinged up or beat up as they were last year. That You look at it because he has to play those teams so many times that perhaps those games are going to be really close and Russ won't put up the numbers that he has in the past? You know what? I really don't. I have full confidence in Russell Wilson, and I still feel, despite his resume and and body of work, he is still overlooked when it comes to quality starting quarterbacks in fantasy football, guys that you want to draft. Like, oh, I ended up with Russell. Where are you going to be ending up with a top six quarterback in fantasy? You know, it's going to happen. That's how good he is. 40 touchdowns last year, 31 and just five interceptions the year before, 35 and seven, 34. The guy puts up above or at close to 4,000 yards every year. He gives you, you sprinkle in a few rushing touchdowns, rushing yards as well. You're getting a true fantasy stud every year. Is he going to be the top overall fantasy quarterback? No, he's not going to be the, he's not going to be number 12 either. He's going to get you right in the middle. And I think you can take comfortably with Russell Wilson, no matter what the division, no matter what the situation, that's an elite quarterback that I would feel comfortable and happy with having on my football team. I'll take Russell Wilson. People want to pass on Russell Wilson? I will gladly take him every season. Andy, um, let's. you mentioned one sleeper, Edwards, and, and with the Raiders and all that. What else should we be or could we be 
and again, there's a lot of preseason games to be watched here, but what should we be keeping an eye on as we do our, our own draft homework here moving forward or some guys who could come out of the woodwork and, and surprise us this year? Well, I'll, I'll say if we look at quarterback, um, I'm, I'm a big believer in Jalen Hurts, and I think people that were dumping on him last year for the completion percentage and all that weren't watching the games fully. Loved him coming out of college. I think he is an underrated thrower. I believe if he's given the chance, and it looks like he will be in Philly, that Jalen Hurts has a chance with his legs as well. But this isn't just a guy who scurries around and runs and, and can't throw. This guy's got an arm. And he, thrown in last year, just in the mix, and, and was just trying to battle it out and figure out his way. Full training camp now, full preseason, working with these receivers. I think Jalen Hurts is somebody you're going to be able to pick up late in your fantasy drafts at quarterback, if you choose to address positions elsewhere, and because of that leg factor, you're going to be having yourself a good time with Jalen Hurts. So that's somebody that immediately jumps off the page to me. I would say this as well for, for my Cleveland Browns, okay? Donovan Peoples-Jones. Yeah. Um, that's somebody where if you're in a dynasty or keeper league and he's available, I would get yourself some shares. Because I believe this is going to be Odell Beckham Jr.'s last year with the team. I think Donovan Peoples-Jones, as I've heard from reports from people I trust covering the Browns in Cleveland, speaking with them, they, they tell me, Andy, you know what? This dude, people see him catching passes. He might be the best blocking receiver on the team. And in a run-heavy team like the Browns, that adds value. So now, all of a sudden, you don't have somebody on uh, who you, you think, okay, well, he's just on the block, so it's going to be a run. You can have a guy who's a willing blocker who was a sixth-round pick because he had a terrible quarterback situation at Michigan in college. And now he can go deep and catch balls and is developing continuous chemistry with Baker Mayfield going in from la- continuing from last year. Donovan Peoples-Jones, again, for Dynasty Keeper, yes. Um, get some shares of him for sure. For this year, for redrafts, what type of year is he going to have behind? It's going gonna, it's gonna to depend. I wouldn't mind personally taking um, a late round pick on him, keeping him on my bench and seeing how things develop. Cause I do think if any injuries come up, that's going to be a guy who really flashes. Andy McNamara joining us here on Vic and the boss. This one in the Dunbar lumber text inbox, six fifty six fifty. I'm in a 12 team four keeper league with two flex spots struggling with my fourth keeper Godwin, who is a 14th round keeper value or Dobbins fourth round keeper value. My other keepers are, Kamara, Chubb, and Jonathan Taylor. Ooh, nice. I always lean towards the running back in, in a situation where it's wide receiver. Now, out of the two talent-wise, who I would want, uh, and in, in, for this for this texture as well, depends what other wide receivers do you have, right? That's the unknown that we yeah. have. Uh, you look like you're pretty stacked at, at running back. So in this particular situation, I might go Godwin, but if you have a nice stable of wide receivers, I would keep Dobbins because there is always value in starting running backs. Now his value is deep. I have Dobbins categorized as an RB two type just because everything runs through Lamar Jackson and for goal line stuff, he might be even the third look when it comes to actually getting goal line um, peaks for touchdowns. But we know the value and how rare it can be and how committees can be formed and injuries. So I would always lean running back, not knowing the wide receiver situation here uh, on, on this guy's team with the ones he has already, I would say Godwin, but that's just sort of my, my big picture view. Nice. Uh, Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650, 650. 
should I think about drafting Michael Thomas? Listen, there, there's a, a little bit of a saga going on down in mm-hmm. New Orleans, new quarterback, new system. Are you steering clear of, of, of a very good wide receiver, but you know, who's been a little dinged up of late and, and doesn't seem to be all that happy with what's going on uh, with them saints. For, for where I think you'd have to draft Michael Thomas. No. Now, if you find yourself in the sixth round and Michael Thomas is sitting there, uh, maybe a different conversation, right? But where you usually would draft Michael Thomas, which would be in the first round, maybe at the turn of the second, but probably in the first, I'm not interested. Disgruntled going back from last year, ghosted, it came out, ghosted his franchise, his coach, his teammates, to have late surgery. Why? So now is this guy going to be coming in in September, October, November? When he comes in, is he going to be ready to go? Does he want to go? We're going to see an A.J. Green situation from a year, uh, two years ago where he was just like, yeah, my foot hurts. That's it. You know, and he just thinks, <laughs> no, he doesn't want to be in, right? Like, for Michael Thomas. And then how often do we see a guy comes in, misses training camp, starts up slow, and then, oh, soft tissue, pulled the hammy. I don't want it. I do not want to spend any significant draft capital in Michael Thomas whatsoever. Uh, Andy, are you, are you buying any rookies? Like, what are, what are you looking at of any first-year players who could have an impact this year? Right. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, obviously, is, uh, is up there because the Jags' defense, while improved a bit, isn't great, and I think they're going to have a lot of garbage-time points. And, you know, he's going to have his ups and downs like any rookie. Um, you also have the rookie NFL head coach in Urban Meyer, too, who's in there. Um, I look at the value when it comes to the positions that have more scarcity. And that's why I am buying very high on Kyle Pitts, that tight end. Like we went over before, once you get past the Travis Kelseys, the Darren Wallers, George Kittle, who's also been banged up quite a bit, TJ Hawkinson, I think is going to be somebody that isn't talked about enough. You want to get some TJ Hawkinson. Uh, it falls off quick. I know people say Robert Tunyon, but you know, look at the yardage. Just over 500. He needs 11 touchdowns. Is that going to happen again? Logan Thomas was a top five guy. Fitzy doesn't throw to, to tight ends too often. Ryan Fitzpatrick. So he's probably going to fall. Kyle Pitts. And it all depends how he's used. Because I would categorize, if I'm Atlanta, I categorize Kyle Pitts, who is a 20-year-old absolute athletic freak show. I would put him, not a tight end, not a wide receiver. I'd put a W beside his name for weapon. Don't have him block. Don't have him block. There's no need. Have, you, know, you, you have uh, uh, Hunter or uh, was it Hayden Hurst over there. Hayden, hey, bud, you're, you're blocking, okay? We're going to let Kyle go score some touchdowns. You block Hayden. Put the yeah. guy out there. Put the guy out there and score. Kyle Pitts. Now, it's, again, it's going to be the unknown of 20 years old. He's raw. It's going to be a bit of a risk. But the upside of Kyle Pitts is tantalizing. So if you miss out on one of those top three or four tight ends that I say that I said before, I'd go Kyle Pitts. And then at running back, Najee Harris for the Steelers, even though four new starters on that Steelers O-line, I don't like it at all. I think he's going to be probably grinding it out to, to maybe find that 12. Like on mysportsnet.ca position rankings i had harris as my 12th uh running back uh, as far as ranking wise just on the on the cusp the back end of that rb1 rb2 but because we see so many committees he's the rookie that you're going to want to make sure you get uh if you if you need one and want to address it because at the very least opportunity equals success in fantasy football and Najee harris whenever pittsburgh decides to run the ball it's going to be going to him Andy, fantastic stuff. Really appreciate the time. We'll have to do this again soon as we roll along here through the summer. Enjoy the games that are coming up. Uh, I'm yeah. sure, like any good student, you're going to be doing your homework and uh, we'll be <laughs> looking forward to hearing you on this show and also on your uh, fantasy show as well here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. 
Oh, thank you very much. Anytime. Always love coming on with you guys. Thank you. Thank you. That's uh, Andy McNamara from the Fantasy Show, uh, broadcast here weekly on Sportsnet 650 and also in Calgary and Toronto as well. Uh, that's it for another edition of uh, Bick and the Boss. We decided to you know, decide what Greg Ballack wasn't going to name his baby girl. So that, that was an important step, Greg, that we did that for you. Uh, we talked some hockey, some football, and a little fantasy as well. Uh, coming up still ahead uh, on the People's Show with Sat Shaw and Bick Nazar, Ivanka Osmak is uh, joining, Dan uh, Rosen, Mark Schofield, and uh, former Canuck goalie Eddie Lack. I guess it's uh, a Taco Tuesday here on the uh, radio station, and I'm not so sure that this has transpired, but you know, Eddie was a reach deep uh guest and he came on a lot with uh dan and randy but both those two are nowhere to be found today so eddie will have to hang with sat and bick i'm sure the conversation will be great the uh insight the intelligence and uh, a little bit of humor from uh one of the uh quirkiest former canucks netminders that uh, has been around always insightful and entertaining with eddie lack uh that is it for our show thank you greg ballack for your fine work today And uh, we will catch you tomorrow here on your home of the Canucks, uh, Sportsnet 650.